glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Matt, let me throw one thing out here about missions and about you being a missionary or a preacher. Why not you? How do you know God is not trying to call you? Do you know that for sure? Or have you just crossed it off the list? Why not you? Who will go? Who's supposed to go? Ask those questions. And let God do something in your heart. Amen? Amen. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been basing our message out of this verse, these verses this week. And uh, we've really preached one message and and just use each point for each day. And that's what we will do again this morning. And uh, as we look at verse 14, the Bible says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God is manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to stand again behind this pulpit and in front of this great church. And we pray, God, that you would help us now uh, to do your will. Pray that you would certainly uh, take me out of the way, but that the words that are spoken from the Bible would be sharp and quick. And uh, we pray, God, that there be someone here this morning that needs to be saved, uh, that you will bring them to that place where they have to make a decision. And I pray, God, that their decision is is not... No, not I'll do it later, but that the urgency is there uh, to be born again. And I pray, God, that you would show that person today who you're speaking to. I pray for us that are saved, uh, that we would be excited about this wonderful plan that you've had before eternity, before the, before uh, in eternity, before the foundation of the world. I pray, God, that you would help us to see that in this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we want to look this morning. We've looked so far at that we need to get a a greater glimpse of the Savior, and that is the the holiness that God has put in the believer. We have it. It, We are are equipped with it. And then uh, we access that through the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. And so God gives us the opportunity that we can live a holy life. That's our decision, to live that holy life. But Lemma, I said this, I say it again, why, if you were saved, would you want to live like you were lost? We're born again. We ought to be the people of God and live that way, which includes that, that relationship that we have with Him. And then we looked the next night, we looked at... Uh, allowing God to break us for lost sinners and getting a value uh, on a soul. What is a soul worth 
to us? And what would we give in exchange for someone else's soul? How much of us would we give to make sure someone uh, gets saved? Amen? And then, uh, and then last night uh, we took a look at how that we are to shoulder the burden of this church and that we, the church members, are to gather uh, under that yoke and carry that, uh, that burden. We looked at the Old Testament tabernacle and how that that was transported and moved and uh, that it was a, a, a godly thing. And some things can't be done easily. They have to be done the way God says for us to do it and keep the integrity of the church. And that's how the church will stay strong. But this morning we want to look this this morning for just a little while and we want to talk about exalting the Savior and being evangelistic in our heart. I've known churches that were very good churches and good solid churches but were not evangelistic in their hearts. It ought to always be on our heart that any time, at any moment, Brother Turk, someone could be here that needs to be saved. And that we ought to be ready for that. And we ought to be expecting that and excited about that. Brother Brother Neil said yesterday that we find ourselves sometimes not expecting God to do something big. But this morning, someone can come out of being dead and brought into life. And so we ought to be evangelistic in that. So I'm going to preach the Lord's help and... And by his leadership, if you'll turn to Psalm chapter 23, this is a, I'm going to try to make it not so long, but it is a long subject. And I will try my best to make it just as clear as possible in in a timely manner. And Psalm chapter 23, I want you to look, and we're not really going to be preaching from Psalm 23 the whole time. Uh, But I want to share with you my heart and uh, some things that God has shown me through the years. And uh, hopefully it will be a blessing to you. Psalm 23, verse number 1. I think all of us could probably look up at me and quote this. But uh, the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You can literally go through down through Psalm 23 and say, He is my shepherd, I shall not want for green pasture. He is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not want. Not only is He with us today, He's with us every day. Not only has He met my needs, He is meeting my needs. And He is my uh, great shepherd. So we look at Psalm 23, and we're going to pray, and then we'll, I'm going to show you some truths here about my shepherd. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Pray, God, that you'd bless the service. Give us a good uh, mind and heart today, and we pray, God, that we be obedient to you, discerning uh, what you'd have for us to say. We pray, God, that those that are here will be attentive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to bring a message this morning on the threefold work of my shepherd. I like what he said. It's my shepherd. Not just your shepherd. He's my shepherd. And the threefold work that Christ did for God the Father and for us. I like that. They should never take out for us. 
And so we want to look at that for just a second this morning. Well, it'll be more in a second, but we'll look at several things. Revelation chapter five, uh, chapter 1, verse number 5. The Bible says this, And from Jesus Christ, now we know who he's talking about, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God, and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, the subject, the context of this is a threefold work of Jesus Christ. He said, number one, he is the faithful witness. The faithful witness. He is the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. That's found in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, we also find out that he is the prophet, the faithful witness. The prophet comes to tell us about the things of God. And that's what Jesus did. The whole time he was here, he kept talking about God, his father, his father, his father, his father. And was telling us about the father and telling us about us and about our lack of righteousness and about our our uh, situation and that we are not in a relationship with him and being lost. And he came to be that prophet. Secondly, we find that, and that's in Psalm 22. A lot of people say Psalm 23 is about the good shepherd. It's not. Psalm 22 is about the good shepherd. And we'll look at Psalm 22 close today. But Psalm 23 is about the second part. The Bible says, the first begotten of the dead. That is the the great shepherd. That's Psalm 23. That is our high priest. Amen? Prophet, priest. That's Jesus Christ. He came, and now that he's died on the cross, was buried and rose again, put his blood on the mercy seat, sat down on the right hand of the Father, now he's our shepherd that can walk with us every day and give us those green pastures and all those things that's mentioned in Psalm 23. So he is our priest. He is our great shepherd. And then we find the third part, it says, and the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the chief shepherd. Amen. Amen. And that's found in Psalm 24. Not only is the chief shepherd, but he's the king. He's the soon coming king. Listen to me. There's a difference in the Bible between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God is what we get during the church age. When we get saved, we get the kingdom of God. That is what, uh, when, when Jesus Christ moves into us, we're in Him, He's in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and the kingdom of God is set up in our hearts, in our lives. He's inside. That's the holiness of God. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is coming someday. God's coming back for Israel, by the way. And he has promised them a earthly kingdom and he will set that kingdom up. And he will be the king. Amen? I don't have to sing the king is coming because he's already here. I'm saved. I have the king. Now, he is coming. <laughs> and we look at that. Amen? And so we see that he is not only the, 
the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep and not only the great shepherd who is living today. Jesus is alive, by the way. And he is governing and helping us in our lives. And then we find that he is the king, the prophet, priest, and king, the chief shepherd. And so we find all those truths in there. He said, I am the way. Amen. The good shepherd, I am the way. I am the truth. That's the priest, the great shepherd. I am the life that is the king of kings and lord of lords and our chief shepherd, our, 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 yes, our chief shepherd. And so I want to look at the threefold office of Christ. And, and as we look in the Bible, we find the number three. That number three, and I'm, I'm not trying to push numerology on anybody, but the number three is very significant in the Bible. You'll find it many places. It, it, it speaks of completeness in the person and the work of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, uh, Brother Turk uh, dealt with that a few minutes ago in 1 John and talking about these three are one. God is found throughout the Bible as the Godhead. It's always been. It always will be. And so we find that. But then also in each... I hope to finish, I, I want to write a, my, a thesis on um, the, the threefold work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and use that uh, to show that all three of those have a work not only toward heaven but also to us. And so th- that's very important that we see that. So we see that plan there in the threefold work of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be boring, I'm just trying to tell you that's how it is. The good shepherd's found in Psalm 22, and that's the cross. We find the cross there in Psalm 22. He's the prophet. He's the revealer. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5, the faithful witness. He is the way found in, uh, in uh, John 14, 6. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, he's found uh, as being, um, uh, and the Lord said unto him, he found in Exodus chapter 4, 2, What is uh, that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. He is the rod of Moses. We find that in in, uh, uh, in the book of Exodus. In in John chapter 1, verse number 17, And the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen? And so as a prophet, he died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. That's the gospel uh, to give us that way to God. And, and, and so he died for us. Then we see, secondly, he's the great shepherd in Psalm 23, and that's the crook and the staff. He's the, he's the, uh, the priest. He's the redeemer. He's the first begotten of the dead. Uh, he is the truth. Uh, listen, there is no truth other than him. He's the rod of Aaron that lives. Amen. And so he is that, uh, 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 that the great shepherd who now lives for us. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so this is the rod of Christ, amen, the work of Christ in us. And so we see those truths there. Then he is the chief shepherd. In Psalm 24, he's, that's the crown and the scepter. He's the king, the ruler. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the truth, amen, and, um, and, and the life, uh, the rod of David. Amen. It's talked about in Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And, uh, and so uh, he is uh, that offspring of David that would come to rule and reign uh, over Jerusalem. Amen. 
And he's coming that uh, someday to do that. In John chapter 10, we find the good shepherd that, that is the door of the sheep that laid down his life for the sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13, we find the great shepherd uh, who cares for his sheep. Uh, he said, Thou the God of peace that brought uh, again from the dead uh, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect every good work to do the will uh, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That's what that great high priest is doing in us today. Then First Peter chapter 5, he's the chief shepherd who is coming someday for his sheep. And one day he will come uh, for us. The next great event to happen in the Christian's life is the rapture of the church. And so he's coming uh, to get us. Amen? Amen. Psalm 22, uh, we have an opportunity as we read Psalm 22 to look over the psalmist's shoulder and we find more truth about the crucifixion in Psalm 22 than any other place in the Bible, including all the Gospels that talk about the crucifixion of Christ. We find that in Psalm 22. And uh, I know a lot of people that, that, that really don't want to hear about the suffering of Christ. But friend, if we don't look at the suffering of Christ, we don't, we'll, we'll never know the great sacrifice that was made for us. Amen. He made a sacrifice for us that was cruel and gruesome. And so as we look at that, we'll see in Psalm 22. I'd like, I, I draw your attention uh, this morning to Psalm 22, verse number 1. If you would look there real quick with me. In Psalm 22, 1, we find, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? It starts with an orphan cry. God had forsaken His only begotten Son. Why? For you. For a sinner like you. He forsook His Son. It starts with an orphan cry, but listen to this. Look in, look in the last verse of Psalm 20, uh, 22. The Bible says, They shall come, they shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born. Now listen to this. That He hath done this. It, it ends with His finished work. Christ did not come to fail. He came to finish the work. He fulfilled all the law. And what the law could not do, Christ did. And He died for us. The law cannot save you. The law condemns you. But Christ came to be that merciful, grace-filled Savior that died in our place on Calvary. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21 we find here four different ways that Christ suffered for us. Number one, and we forget about this, but He suffered from the hand of God. Number two, He suffered from the hand of Israel and the heart of Israel. He suffered from the heathenistic attacks of Satan and He suffered from the horrible, horrible death of crucifixion. Now, let's look at those real quick. Number one, he suffered from the hand of God. We find verses 1, one and 2 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? 
and from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am but silent, and am not silent. We find in Matthew 27, 46 that Jesus cried those words. Why hast thou forsaken me? I want you to understand something. If Christ had just died at the hands of men, He wouldn't be the Savior. The Bible says God sent His only begotten Son. The Bible says it pleased God to bruise Him for us. But I want you to know something else that He said on the cross as he said these words, listen to me, if you're lost here today, and you go to hell, you die and go to hell, Jesus said some things right here in verses 1 and 2 you need to understand. Number one, if you go to hell, God won't have you anymore. Why hast thou forsaken me? If you die in your sins and you go to hell, you'll be forsaken eternally. No one can help you. God won't help you. Number two, God will not help you. You cannot cry out from hell and find help. That rich man said, if I just had a drop of water on my tongue, and he could not get it. The psalmist said, why art thou so far from helping me? You cannot have help if you die in your sins. You know when you can have help? Right now, today. But you can't have help then. I'm going to say something to you, and I'm not trying to get any kind of sympathy or anything. When I got saved at 29, I was living a miserable life. I was in in a bad shape. I don't want to glorify the devil, but I was living fully for the devil. I was... Saved right out of a rock band. I, I was living that life. I, my, my wife and children were being dragged through that. It was just really bad. But I got saved. I gloriously was born again. God changed me that very day that I got saved. I called the band and said, I'm done. I can't play in those places anymore. I'm through. And uh, sold everything I had. Bought me a little flat top guitar and sang in church. That's all I wanted to do. My brother, on the other hand, uh, I got under conviction for my brother. He lived in Lawton, Oklahoma, not far from where the Turks live, about 70 miles, I think. I went there, and I drove there, and sat in my brother's truck, and I wept and cried and told him what God had done for me and gave him the gospel. And my brother turned and laughed at me and said, uh, none of that's real. And he said, "That you can live any way you want to, but don't ever say that to me again. A few years later, at 29, the same age I was when I got saved, my brother took a shotgun and took his life. And that day he entered hell. Not because he took his life, but because he rejected the Savior. Now my stepmother stood over his body and said, will God forgive him now, being Catholic, will God forgive him now? And I said, no, it's too late. If you die in your sins, He will not help you. 
you hear what I'm saying? The next part is, he says, why are thou so far from hearing me? You can scream to the top of your voice and he will not hear you. He will not hear you. He has, he has told us that. Why? You died rejecting him. He tells us that, verses 1 and 2. When he was on the cross, he suffered that for us. Amen. And yet we sat here not saved and risking the opportunity that we would have to be born again. He suffered at the hands of God. He suffered at the heart of Israel. Israel hated him. Israel did not want to say that he was God the Son. Listen. He said this in Psalm 22 verse 6. But I am a worm and no man. Reproach of man and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh to scorn, shoot out the lip and shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. He says he's a worm. Now, when he said he was a worm, that alludes back to that tola worm that we know about. That tola worm gave its life and they may die out of it. Okay? Now I want to share something with you. I want you to look at it real quick. But we won't be long on this. Israel made Christ wear four robes while he was here. And all of it was for a mock except for the fourth one. The first one that he wore was a scarlet robe. He put that, they put that scarlet robe on him and they mocked him and said, you say you're, you're this and you're that and they mocked him. But you know, when he wore that scarlet robe in his heart the whole time, he's saying, yes, blood was shed for you and blood will be shed for you and you can come through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's still the blood. And that blood was shed for you. And he showed a picture of the good shepherd that gave his life for the, for the sheep. Then they put a white robe on him. And that's the, the robe of a high priest. Listen to me. You ever heard that saying that the, the high priest went in one time a year and they had to tie a rope around him and, and if they didn't hear them bells ringing, they would pull him back out. That's garbage. That's not in the Bible. Because when it came time for him to go behind that veil in the Holy of Holies, he stripped off all of his glorious robes and wore white linen. And so when they put that white robe on him, you know, it's showing that he is going to be the, the priest, the high priest. You know what happened when he was on the cross? Caiaphas did something kind of unusual. He reached up and he rent his garment. Do you know that it says in the law that if a high priest rents his garment, his priesthood's over. And Christ was on the cross. You know what Christ did? He tore the temple veil in two from top to bottom and said, your priesthood's over. And I am now the high priest. 
You think God knew what he was doing? (laughs) Then we find that he wore a purple robe. Purple is the color of royalty. King of kings, Lord of lords. Prophet, priest, and king. The last robe that we find on the Lord is that seamless robe. You remember that? Now the Bible doesn't tell us what color it is. But let's look for just a minute. Scarlet, white, and blue, or or, I'm sorry, scarlet, white, and purple are, are three of the colors that is in the veil. There was one more. And that was a blue robe. Now, I don't know if this robe was blue or not, but I do know what that seamless robe was. Do you? The seamless robe was the robe his mother made. They All Jewish men have them and they wear them. They're that, that they wore it on the outside they call, or inside. They call it a robe. It's more like a T-shirt, but it had the tassels on the four tassels around it. Mother made that for him. Amen? They took it off of him and they cast lots for it. It's used another place. You remember the story about the prodigal son? Remember when he came home and he should have been put to death, but the father ran out and fell on his neck and kissed him. He turns around and he says, go get the best robe. Go get the robe his mama made. Let him know he's still in the family. It speaks of eternal security. Seamless robe. The family robe. Once Jesus saves you, you're forever saved. What a picture we have in those robes. He said, I am but a worm. That worm was used to dye those garments and color those garments to show us that Jesus is who he said he would be. Amen? They mocked him. They scorned him. They laughed at him. They shot out the lips. They shook their heads at him. They they sneered. Uh, and lied on him. Uh, then, then, then he suffered at the heathenistic attacks of Satan. Uh, the Bible says it talks about the bulls of Bashan. Uh, they put him in a circle. The Roman guards would, uh, and they blindfolded him, and the Roman guards would come in and smite him and say, if you're God, tell us who hit you. Can I tell you something? He created them. He gave them the lungs that they're, that they're breathing air with. He knew who they were. You can't hide the eyes of God. And yet he suffered for us. You know, we can't even take a little criticism. Christ died and suffered for us immensely. Ravening and roaring lions, uh, savenger dogs, the Bible talks about in Psalm 22. We get a picture that we don't get in the rest of the gospel. And then he suffered from the horrible death of the cross, the crucifixion. I want to show show you something here. Uh, That cross that Christ died on was was a Roman cross. Uh, There had been crucifixions before the Roman cross. The the Syrians had a cross, but they would tie the victims up and they would just hang from that cross member. They would hang there. And when, when their lungs filled up, they would die. So within an hour, they were usually dead or two. But the Romans said, we can make this even more cruel. Why we say the cruel cross. 
there were three pieces to this cross. There was a piece called the patabellum. That was that cross member. You see Christmas plays and you see somebody carry a two before in. It wasn't a two before. It was more like a cross tie. Any of you men ever pick up a cross tie or end of a cross tie? That's what they placed on the back of Christ. He didn't drag the whole cross. He just had that patabellum, which was enough. And he carried that down through to the place of the cross. After he had been scourged and beaten. Amen? Then there was a second part, which was just as cruel, which is called the stipe. And that's the long upward part. They laid it on the ground with the hole already dug and they made him lay down on that and they would fasten that patabellum to that stipe, nail his hands and his feet to that cross and then drop it in the hole for extra cruelty. So he's already suffering before he's ever upright. He's already suffering. And then once he gets upright, the suffering really begins. They knew where to nail those nails. When we talk about the hands, it was actually, I believe, the wrist. They knew how that that would hold them there and also rake against those nerves and cause extra pain. Then the third part was the stipe, was the, not the stipe, but the sea dial. And that's that little step on the bottom where his feet went. And what that did was they nailed that with his legs crooked And so when his lungs began to fill up, he would naturally pull himself up to get a breath. And that made the cross last a long time. Hours. He was six hours on the cross. And and hours and hours they would last on the cross. And so he died at the cruelty of that Roman cross. Amen? Now, that's what Christ did for us. And and we're still not even painting an accurate picture of it. That's what He did for us. Why? He loved us. He wanted to take our place. He loves you. And he He wants you to be saved this morning through the sacrifice that He gave. Now, let me give you one thing. Well... It's really three things, but turn your Bibles to the book of John. Preacher Turk uh, read this the other day, but I want to share something with you real quick, and I'll try to be quick. I know it's it's getting all in time. Uh, John chapter number three. Now, this is so powerful that the Westcott and Hort texts have tried to change it and uh, use different language. But three times in the book of John, there's a little uh, phrase used, lifted up. Three times, only three times. And we want to look at those three times real quickly and I'll show you some, some truths here. Verse number 14. And and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
there's a word in each one of these sentences that tells us or gives us the emphasis of what this is talking about. And the word in this one is must. That's a divine imperative. And that is the necessity of the cross. People are wanting to take the cross out of the Bible. They're wanting to take the blood out of the Bible. But the Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says Jesus must be lifted up. His blood must be shed for us to be saved. That's the necessity of the cross. A divine imperative. There's found in these verses the must of the sinner. Verses 3 and 7, we find that you must be born again. Then there is the must of the Savior. He must be lifted up. And then the must of the sovereign. Uh, He must increase, I must decrease. And so we see those truths there in chapter 3. Why must he be lifted up? Number one, because sin necessitates it. Sin. You know, people walk around this world like they're not sinners, but the Bible calls you something quite different. The Bible calls us something quite different. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible doesn't say we're faulty and have error in our life. He says we're sinners. How many of y'all ever heard of Lehman Strauss? You ever heard the message on Lehman Strauss' uh, wife? They met when they were like grade school. And he said, I'm going to marry that girl. Didn't see her again for years and met her at a church where his friend had invited him. She was there. Uh, He met her again. He said, I'm going to marry that girl. He started trying to date her and she wouldn't date him. She wouldn't let him come to her house. And any time they went somewhere, it was to church. One Christmas, he said, I bought her some perfume and I took it over to her house. And he said, that day she let me in. She said, my dad's home. You can come in. Came in. She said, I got you something for Christmas. He said, what is it? She said, it's a brand new King James Bible. He said, why do I want a Bible? She said, if you knew the author, you'd want one. He said, you know the author? She said, I do, and I'm going to introduce him to you right now. She said, turn it to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. She said, what does that say you are? He says, I guess it's a sinner. She said, there's no guessing to it. It says you're a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. Sin necessitates Christ dying on the cross. We cannot atone for our sins. We cannot be good enough. We don't have righteousness. But the righteous one, the high and lofty one, came and became the Lamb of God for you and me. Amen? Sin necessitates it. Amen? What is sin? Sin is a moral perversion or iniquity. Sin is a a, 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 an outright uh, bent toward wrong. And that's in our lives. Even babies have it. I had three girls. I'd tell them, don't touch that cookie jar. Okay, Daddy. All of a sudden, I'd hear the 
cookie jar lid. Go running in there, and boy, they're quick. I mean, they, there was no cookie in nobody's hands, but there was cookie around their mouths. Who got in the cookie jar? Not me. Liars from birth. Cry, I'm hungry. You go in there and they just won't play with you. They're not hungry. Liars from birth. Sin is not just having a faulty problem. It's toward it's a transgression toward God. And so sin necessitates it. Holiness requires it. God is holy. He has to be just. He has to, someone has to pay for sin. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Christ had to die on the cross. He must be lifted up. Justice demands it. God's going to be just. Someone has to die on the cross. And that someone was Christ. The law needed to be fulfilled because the law by itself cannot save. But the perfect God-man died for our sakes. And salvation compels it. Who will pay for my sin? No one but the Lamb of God. Second place we find that little term lifted up is in John 8. You'll turn there. John 8, verse number 28. Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, who are the them? That's the Pharisees. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. You know what that is? You know what the key word there is? No. That's the testimony of the cross. What's going on here? These Pharisees have come to Jesus and said, you're not the Christ. In fact, they told him he was an Ill- illegitimate child. Abraham's our father. Who's your father? Is it Joseph? They knew about Mary. They knew the story about Mary. And they, they were calling him an illegitimate child. You know what Jesus said? When they lift me up on the cross, you'll know who I am. God the Father will show you who I am when I'm crucified. Why would we not want to cre- preach the cross? Why would we not want to tell people that, that Christ Jesus died for their sins? The religious world knew it. When He died on the cross, that religious world knew it. The Bible says Jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, uh, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Listen, they're having their ceremony down at the temple at the time that Jesus dies, and when he dies, he tears that veil in two. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. It was God that tore it. 
and said, this is over. My son is on the cross. And he showed them that he is the son of God. Now, did they all listen? No, but they knew. The pagan world knew it. There was a centurion standing at the foot of that cross and watched Christ die. You know what all he watched? He watched him save a sinner on the cross. He watched all those things that Christ did on the cross. And by the time it was over, he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The political world knew it. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. And then all of a sudden this little angel comes down, comes down rolls the tomb away and shows them he's not in there. Roman soldier fell down like dead men. He said, I showed you I was on the cross. The angelic world knew it. They would have come and taken him off the cross. When they rolled that tomb away, there sat two of them in the tomb saying, he's not here, he's risen. The demonic world knew it. The Bible says he, he took them out and having spoiled principalities and powers, uh, uh, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And sinners knew it. There was a sinner on the cross who said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I've heard men preach this, and I, I think it probably was something like that. That was a Jewish man. His mom had been telling him about the Lamb of God all his life. His mom had been telling him about a Messiah that was coming, a king that was coming. And when it started, he was mocking him as much as the other one. Something in him convinced him that he was the Savior. And he said, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, this day. Thou shalt be with me. Got saved. Sinners knew it. Thirdly, and I'll be through. Chapter 12, verse 32. This is probably the most familiar one. And I, verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The word there is draw. That's the attraction of the cross. Amen. Let me ask you something. What is so attractive about a man being crucified after he's been scourged, spear stuck in his side, the other two on the cross had their legs broken with a with a essentially a battle axe. What is attractive about that? Have you ever been driving down the highway and there'd be a bad wreck? I, I've seen some pretty bad things on the highway. The first thing I want to do is go, I don't, I don't want to see that. Had a man that came back from Desert Storm, had pictures of those uh, those people over there laying dead, and I, I didn't want to see that. What's so attractive about a man dying on the cross? Well, listen what he says. He said, if I be lifted up, 
I will draw all men unto me. Not the cross. It's not the passion. It's the person. Look at me. I'm the one that died for you. Can I tell you something? The Bible said the Holy Ghost came to convict us, reprove us of sin. Show us, convince us without a shadow of a doubt that we're sinners. But that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures for us and was seen of many. And then he says this, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you look to Him this morning? Listen, I understand. I went three years being miserable in my soul, knowing I was lost, knowing I was going to die and go to hell, knowing those things, and yet kept rejecting and kept rejecting and kept rejecting. One night, May 9, 1992, a little preacher man came by and gave me a gospel uh, preaching tape. Singing on one side, preaching on the other. I played in a band. I didn't mind the music. I listened to the music. But when the preaching got on, I got mad. I threw the tape away. It was I was already under conviction. It was, it was upsetting me. Then a little while later, I got the tape back out, listened to a little more. To make a long story short, about midnight, I found myself face down on an old concrete floor begging God to save me. Whew. He changed my life that day. And I would not, Brother Jeb, Brother Jim, I wouldn't go back now for nothing in the world. The most wonderful thing, including my wife and children, the most wonderful thing I ever did was receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know what you're thinking. I can't do it. You don't have to do it. He did it. All he's asking you to do is repent. What does repent mean? Change my mind. Change my mind about who I am. I'm a sinner. Change my mind about who God is and what he's done for me. That's all repentance means. Come to him. And receive him as your Savior. How do I do that? Believe. I believe on him. I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ for me. And I need to do that today. Today, because you're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised you're going to get back tonight. Today. I'm going to tell you something. Last time I preached this, I preached it at my home church, my sending church, last year. And I used the same terms that I used about you being forsaken and God won't help you and He won't hear you. There was a woman about 30 years old that got saved that night because all she could think about was being separated from God eternally. And she got born again. Baptized her about three months later. God wants you to be saved this morning. And, And church, that's the most important message we have. We can preach about a lot of things, but that's the most important thing. Why would we spend time on foolish things 
preacher boy said to me one time, I've run out of something to preach. You need to get a you need to get a hold of Calvary. We got something to preach. Amen. We got people to preach to. If you're here lost this morning, you ought to take advantage of the opportunity that God has given you to be saved. And this might be the last one. My brother didn't realize the last time I sat in his truck and wept and cried. It might have been the last time he had to get saved. I, I was preaching one time, preacher honest, I was preaching. And there was a lady that came to our church with two little kids. I knew her life was in turmoil. So her husband had left her and she was by herself. She came in. I held the door for her. I don't know if she was saved or not. I held the door for her to leave. That day, about 4 o'clock, her ex-husband ran her off the road and she died instantly, hit a tree and died instantly. You know what God told me? I hope, I, I want you to look back and make sure you preach the gospel. That's the last thing she heard. And I had. But that's the last thing she heard was the gospel. Now whether she got saved or not, I, I can't tell you. That was her last day. You don't know when you're... I'm not trying to set fear in you to do something out of fear. I'm just telling you, you do not know how many more opportunities God is going to give you. This could be it. I'm, I'm, listen, I intended to come here and preach to you the gospel. This church intends for you to get right with God. That's, that's their motive. That's their goal. But we can't do it for you. You'll have to make that decision today. How about you? How about you, Christian? Are, are we where we ought to be for God? Are we that live coal that's on fire for God, that's broken for sinners, that's in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so much that we know who He is and we have Him on our hearts and we're carrying the gospel to others? coming to church because we want to. I asked, I asked this little fellow this morning if he was ready to go to church. And a big old grin came on his face. I said, do you like to go to church? He said, uh-huh. I agreed. I love to come to church. It's where I get to talk about God. Get to hear about God. This man's interpreting the Bible. God's using him, these two men greatly, and they've told me this week God has helped them. How? They came to church. I get help every time I come. This is this is the last time I get to preach to you this year. Maybe down the road again sometime, but this year this is it. My prayer has been all night last night and all day today before we got here is that someone would respond to God in the right way and not walk out of here lost without Jesus. That's all I got to say today and that's, that's, that's the end of it. The invitation's here. and it's, God gave it years and years ago. God gave it. It's up to you to respond. Would you do that? I'm going to give you one more challenge. Those of us that are saved, somebody's in a warfare this morning. Somebody's been placed in their heart to do the right thing. 
the flesh don't want that. The devil don't want it. The world don't want it. I wonder if there would be somebody here that could intercede. That could just come this morning and say, Oh God, deal with them. Let them see how sweet and lovely it is to be born again. Let them see the peace that comes with being born again. Would you be willing to do that today? Just intercede. You don't have to know them. You just need to know that somebody's here that's in a warfare. And you, if you're here in a warfare, you need to understand there's people praying for you. More than that, there's a God that loves you. And will save you. He's promised to. He said he would no wise cast you out. You come. How about you? Mm-hmm.